Good morning. All right. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time. I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must keep the weak, I mean, excuse me, we must help the weak remember the words the Lord Jesus himself said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. All right, if you have your Bibles, hold them up high, and let's say this in unity as a church, as a declaration to the Word of God. This is my Bible. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will believe every word. I will claim every promise. I will live by every command. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you, guys. So what a powerful passage of Scripture that we just read in Acts 20 when Paul is saying his final farewell to the elders of the church of Ephesus. And it's so moving and so powerful that I just wanted to make sure that we spent the day today talking about this. There's, you know, so many chapters in the book of Acts and um, we basically have been doing a survey and drawing out personal application over these, over these last nine weeks. And um, if you uh, are investing yourself in this study, then I know the Holy Spirit is really speaking to you a lot. Um, and I want to finish today and next week with this, um, with this book. We broke it down into 10 weeks. And we could spend, you know, as I, when I was in college studying uh, the books of the Bible, I remember that our, our lessons on the book of Acts was a full one-year class that, we, that I spent nine months studying in the book of Acts. So um, we're giving you a survey, but there's so many things. I believe that there's some things today that the Lord is really impressed upon me for our congregation for this day and time that we live in right now that, as Sean was saying, I'm just really hoping that you would open up your spirit and hear what's 
what the Spirit of God has to say. So, so I, I've been gone a couple of weeks. So I just want to give you a quick review. I know we do, I do see some new faces that are in here. And a lot of times in the summer, we like to take and do a summer study where we'll study through the book of James or one of the uh, Bibles, and we'll do an inductive study, and we'll go through it. And in the book of Acts, for the point of review, um, let me just help you understand what it's about, because it opens with the triumphant Jesus, you know, the risen Christ is appearing to his disciples. Uh, he has conquered death, sin, hell, and the grave, and now he is exalted as the king of the world. And before his ascension, he promises them that he's going to send power. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them, and they will continue the work that he was doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. It would start first in Jerusalem. And then it would spread all over the world. And so he commissioned them. This movement began uh, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Incredible outpouring of God's spirit. A powerful fire, presence, prophetic anointing that came. And, um, and Jerusalem was turned upside down. Thousands of people were coming to the Lord. They said, uh, history says, you know, in the first few months of this movement, there were 20,000 people in Jerusalem that came to Christ. It's incredible when you think that the city was about 60 to 80,000 population-wise. So a third of the city is turned upside down. Can you imagine that, everybody? Just imagine a third of New York City coming to Jesus in a matter of six weeks. Somebody say, come on, Jesus. Or how about Murfreesboro? And amazing what happened. And a huge controversy um, arose because uh, they were proclaiming that Jesus is the risen Messiah and they killed him. And the, and, the, and the Jewish leaders that had power and control over the people through the ministry that was happening at the temple got really angry about that, especially because they were teaching what Jesus said and, that, and the prophets confirmed that when he poured out his spirit that the temple, that God wouldn't dwell in temples made by hands, he would dwell in the temples of our hearts. And they began preaching that. And of course, we know this is what the Bible teaches us today, where the temple was sacred. And they got so angry about that uh, because the, the temple and the ministry there, the religious system, was the seat of power. And, and it's, it's what the Jews were hanging on to since they were under the oppression of the, of the Roman um, Empire. Now... Uh, Persecution rose up and it scattered the Jews, which uh, Paul saying that a while ago, that everything that the devil means for harm, God turns it for our good. Well, God used the persecution that the devil meant to destroy, and he scattered the saints all around the region, Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and they went to the uttermost parts of the earth. So they were scattered, and God used that, and now there's these little pockets of fire that are springing up all over the place. And the headquarters, the flagship church, was no longer in Jerusalem. It moved to Antioch. If you remember, I did a teaching on the model church in Antioch, which became a prophetic center. It became the, the launching pad for, many, for a lot of the ministry as, as the, the movement, they, the Scripture calls it the way, the Jew Jesus way, was spreading all around uh, Palestine. Of course, we know that... the the one who instigated most of the persecution was Saul of Tarsus. Remember Saul of Tarsus, who Jesus chose for him uh, to be his apostle to the Gentiles. So miraculously, powerfully, knocks him to his ground, reveals himself, I'm Jesus. Paul gives his life to Jesus, and for the rest of his life, he is spent just advancing the gospel, telling the truth about Jesus, enduring and suffering intense persecution. From Antioch in Syria, um, the Apostle Paul uh, went on three, in his lifetime, he went on three missionary journeys. Now, while I was out, Landon talked about the first two, and he gave some details. There's quite a lot happened during those missionary journeys, but he gave some, some details on how cities were impacted through signs and wonders, churches were established throughout Galatia, Asia Minor, all around Macedonia and Greece. Church, powerful churches were established in uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, all around. And 
I've got the map up here. I don't know how well you can see it, but uh, there's a whole lot of lines here, and I'm just going to try to make sense. This is kind of like, you know, you guys are students of the Word today, okay? So you could just pretend like you're at Bible college today, and Professor Pastor is teaching you some stuff. Okay, everybody? So look on the board here. In the black, this is the first missionary journey. He left Antioch. See, this is Jerusalem. Gospel spread here. And then he, and this was his first journey. All right, the second journey is in this lavender color. And he went all, all the way up to, uh, into uh, Greece here. And he's planting churches, visited Athens, Corinth. And then he comes back to Jerusalem and then went, went to Antioch. The third missionary journey begins in, at the end of chapter 18 and chapter 19, which we're going to hunker down in today. And that is in red. So the Apostle Paul leaves Antioch. He goes through Ephesus and uh, all the way up into Greece, down to Athens, in Corinth. And then he makes the loop back around, goes back down to, to Jerusalem. And what happens there, and we'll talk about next week, is he is arrested here in Jerusalem, and he goes to trial, um, and then he makes an appeal to Caesar. The last few chapters is about him basically saying, you know, I'm going to the Supreme Court because I'm not doing anything wrong. And so he makes an appeal to Caesar, and then, and then he travels all the way uh, to Rome. You remember, he gets shipwrecked here, and he ends up in Rome. So today, I want to talk about what happens here. In Ephesus because in Ephesus we see this incredible clash of the kingdoms and there's a whole chapter that's devoted to it really a chapter and a half that's devoted to it uh, Shane and Melissa just read Paul's, uh, Paul's farewell speech because he was in Miletus which is about 30 miles south of Ephesus here because he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem to get back to the Passover so he called for the elders to come and visit with him because he knew he would never see them again. Now, he's been with them for about three years. This is an amazing, incredible um, clash of cultures that happens there between the Jews and the early Christians that are there, but also between the intellectual, philosophical Greeks and the global power of the Roman government. Now, there have been multiple clashes all through the book of Acts, uh, but this huge one that occurs in Ephesus resulted actually in rioting in the streets. It turns the city upside down. There were some things that happened in the spirit that I believe we should really glean from. In fact, I'm challenged about them because I think God wants our cities. I think that the Christian church has allowed the devil just to have our cities. And I believe that the Lord loves our cities. He loves the people and the inhabitants of our cities. And we can't just sit back and give it over to the devil and some corrupt government. I think Jesus wants to be Lord of our cities. He wants to be Lord of our life, our families, our cities, our nation, Lord of, of the world. And so these clashes are that are happening culturally, they're happening because of the gospel that is being preached. And basically, it can be boiled down to two things. They are, they're preaching, the, the Apostle Paul and his team on all of these journeys, he's preaching two things, a lot, but here it boils down to two. One is that the risen Jesus who conquered death, hell, and the grave is the revelation of the only one and true God. That Jesus is the one and only true God. Now, this is a very polytheist, polytheistic culture that he's in. There are multiple gods that are worshipped, lots of idols. And so this is a counterculture, what the apostle Paul is preaching and teaching. Not only is he preaching that he is the one and only true God, and all other gods are powerless and meaningless, but he's also preaching that he is the king of the world, that he is King Jesus. Now, for us, you kind of yawn at that, and you're like, okay, yeah, that's, I, I get that. But what I want you to see is that if, if Jesus is king of the world, then who is Caesar? 
because Caesar was the emperor who declared himself to be the emperor of the world and the king of the world. In fact, if you remember in John chapter 19, when Jesus was before Pilate and, they were want, and the religious leaders were wanting to crucify him, if you remember, Pilate brought Jesus out and he taunted them. He said, here is your king. What do you want me to do with him? And they said, crucify him. And he said, you want me to crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, look, listen to this. The chief priest answered and said, we have no king but Caesar. This was the prevailing idea that there was no king but Caesar. Even though the Jews didn't believe that, they were just using that in order to accomplish what they wanted to do by having Jesus killed. If he is the one and only true God, then this means that Jesus reigns above all other gods, above all the other idols, and Jesus renders all of their pet idols, he renders them powerless and useless. In addition to that, you realize that there was an imperial religious uh, state during that day. In fact, the Romans considered that the Caesars, the emperors, to be divine, and even parts of their family were divine. In fact, there were shrines uh, that were erected for them. They identified them and, and considered them to be gods. So this clash of cultures, it was inevitable, not just with the religious Jews, but also with the intellectual um, Greeks and also with the idolatrous polytheistic Romans. So Paul is being accused as an enemy of the state. He is considered a troublemaker who is disturbing the peace everywhere he goes, and he's impacting their economy. Okay, so this brings us to this third missionary journey, which is his last, and he, on his way to Ephesus, he visits a lot of the brothers. I love this in the book of Acts. Luke says he went from town to town or city to city, and he is strengthening the disciples. So he has spent the, his entire lifetime. Remember we saw a transition about halfway through the book of Acts where Peter was the main person that God was using, thrusting forth uh, the kingdom. But then there was this transition to Paul and his team. And Paul is not going by himself. He's bringing lots of people with him. And he's traveling now. And so we're seeing the, uh, the outreach to the Gentiles. And I would say this in Ephesus, everybody, that this was more than a clash of cultures. This was the clash of kingdoms. In fact, when you read through the book of Ephesians, his letter to the saints at Ephesus, it's pretty interesting to me how that when he was there in Ephesus, that the Holy Spirit was downloading incredible doctrinal truth about who and what the church actually is. The book of Ephesians is a masterpiece when it comes to the doctrine of the church and how we should live. But then in the second part of the book of, of Ephesians, you find this incredible revelation about spiritual warfare and about the structure of the church. In fact, I find it very interesting that in Ephesians chapter 6, later when he's writing to the church at Ephesus, because remember, he wasn't going to see them anymore. And so he's writing to the church of Ephesus. He says to them, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I want you to see this. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So he is seeing into the spirit realm, and he's seeing that there are demonic powers that are at work that keep cities com in complete bondage and blindness. And he says, that's where our struggle is. That's what we have to be on guard about. 
And there are, I believe, strongholds, demonic strongholds that operate. You can't see them with, the, with, with your naked eye, but you can see them in the Spirit. And some of you have encountered this, and I think the Lord gives a strategy that I think the church has really missed. I think there's a strategy that we can find in the book of, of Acts, chapter 19, of how Ephesus was reached and how we can reach our city and other cities too. And I'm inspired by this, and I want to just teach you about it. I, I got a lot to learn about this, but I'm just pastoring you through this. I'm like, the book of Acts is awakening a lot inside of me to say, let's stop playing church games. Let's stop being content with a little church that gathers on Sunday morning and fellowships with one another and enjoys the family atmosphere. There's a battle that's raging, and there's a war to be won. There are lost people that are dying and going to hell, and they're sitting under the domination and control of these rulers and principalities that are exerting and occupying the land that God has given us to take. That is what's burning inside of my spirit, okay? So, in Ephesus, what really happened? Well, first thing I want you to do is understand a lot about Ephesus because it was a port city, one of the leading cities that was there. It's a very wealthy city. And in this city, um, there was a lot of trade, but tourism really dominated the economy. And it centered around the worship of this incredible demonic idol. Uh, the Greeks call it Artemis. The Romans called her Diana. It's pretty amazing, really, because there was a, there, there was a temple there, the, the temple of Artemis, a shrine there that was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. In fact, it's pretty amazing um, this temple uh, measured 220 feet by 425 feet. Uh, this building is 80 feet wide and about um, twice as long. Yeah, here, here's a replica of, of, of the Temple of Diana in Ephesus. It was built prior to Christ, and then it was destroyed and then it was rebuilt during the days of Christ. And so this is just an incredible uh, temple. It had 127 columns, 127 columns that were 60 feet high. From the floor to the top of that crown mold is 20 feet. Three times as high as that wall is how big those columns were, 127 of them. There was all kinds of worship that was here. This was what Ephesus was all about. And people would travel from all over the world just to be part, just to, there were, there were six festivals that happened yearly. There were all kinds of trinkets and statues and, and things that were sold with Diana. Let me tell you, let me show you what she looked like. This was the goddess of fertility. We have an image of her. And so if, if you notice, this is kind of vulgar. Sorry for putting it up there. We won't keep it up long. But she was the goddess of fertility. So when people couldn't have babies, they would come and they would worship her. They would, they would give offerings to her. And all around the world, this was the goddess of fertility. And people would come. They would flock to this temple. And there they would worship. And uh, this was big business. You know how this works, everybody. This was big business. And this is what Ephesus was all about. It was a cult. And I believe that behind idols like this, that there are demonic powers that operate and that the people in that region had given themselves over to this. In fact, Ephesus was known for the dark arts and there was all kinds of magical incantations and mysterious ceremonies that would happen all in the name of Diana. And so uh, the apostle Paul uh, takes his team right into Ephesus. In fact, it's pretty interesting within this backdrop what takes place. I need to introduce you to a couple of people. Uh, in the Acts chapter 18, we meet a ministry couple called Aquila and Priscilla. You have heard the names Aquila and Priscilla. Actually, 
there are six times that they're mentioned in the book of Acts. And four of those six times, they're mentioned Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, the Bible doesn't waste words, everybody. I just, I'm just pointing that out because I want you to see that uh, Priscilla was the main influencer of that couple. She must have had a teaching anointing or something. I don't know. But this was a ministry couple that, the, that traveled with the Apostle Paul, and they were dynamic. In fact, if you want to do an interesting study, spend some time in studying what the Bible and what church history tells us about Aquila and Priscilla because they were from Italy. They were Italian. And they had been kicked out of Rome, and they settled in Corinth. And the Apostle Paul meets them in Corinth, so impressed with them. I don't know if they were saved already, if they were Christians, but Aquila was a Jew who had converted somehow and they become part of his team. And so he invites them to come with him from, this is at the end of the second missionary journey, he invites them to come from Corinth to Ephesus with them, and he leaves them there. Now, I, listen, I know some of you are like Bible geeks, and y'all love all this history, and some of you are really bored with me right now. So if you're bored with me, I, you know, g- give me a couple minutes. I'll just let me, let me help everybody that loves history. How many of you like history? Okay, okay, y'all outnumbered. All of you people that are bored are outnumbered. I just want you to see this because, because this ministry couple, we can learn so much from them. I believe the book of Acts is not just a collection of stories. It's a collection of stories that has meaning and in deep insight, spiritual truth, and it's been given to us for a model. And we have to learn from this. And so... What I want, look at Acts chapter 18, verse 19. Uh, Paul asked Priscilla and Aquila to join him when they leave Corinth and they travel to Ephesus. And it says, and when they arrived at Ephesus, Ephesus, sorry, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, he himself went to the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews. And, when, and then after he spent time reasoning with the Jews, He left them because he wanted to go to Jerusalem. But he left Priscilla and Aquila behind. And they begged him, well, aren't you going to come back to Ephesus? And he said, I really want to. I want to come back. But if the the Lord's in it, I'll be back. That's how his second missionary journey ends. And Priscilla and Aquila are left in Ephesus and they start a work. Now, here's a couple of things I want you to see. The Apostle Paul met Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth because they were tent makers. They owned a business. And this was his trade. You remember, we just read it just a minute ago. The Apostle Paul said to the elders, y'all know that I never took any money from you. I worked with my own hands, and I paid all the expenses for my team. I didn't, I didn't covet your clothes. I didn't want your money. Because the Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, he would start working, building tents, and he would raise money, and then he would do ministry. Because he never wanted to be accused that you're in this for the money. And he taught the elders to live that way. Don't ever let people accuse you that you're out to influence people because you want to manipulate them for their money. I just think that's a powerful lesson in the book of Acts. If the church would just learn that one, how much more healthy would the church be and how much more powerful would the testimony in the nation be if the church would just live that? So Aquila and Priscilla, they open up their house to the Apostle Paul and they become business partners. And so they minister to him and encourage him. When they go to Ephesus, he leaves them. They just start building tents again and they open up their house. And I want you to see this because they met another person that is incredibly Um, powerful, a guy named Apollos. And the Bible tells us that, well, I'll just read it to you. In Acts chapter 18, verse 24, meanwhile, a Jew, this is while they're in Ephesus, named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord And he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew about the baptism of John. Let me just say, 
he didn't understand, he didn't have the fullness about the baptism, the Pentecost baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. The baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. The baptism in the name of Jesus was, was a birthing into the kingdom of Jesus. Okay? So he didn't know about this, but he knew the Messiah was coming, and Jesus was he. And he began to speak. Apollos is speaking boldly in the synagogue. And it says, And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, what did they do, everybody? They invited him into their home. Hey, come stay with us. And it says, And they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, Apollos, this divine appointment was so powerful that Priscilla and Aquila... Again, they just had the mighty apostle Paul in their house. Think about that. And now it's just natural to them. I, I think they were incredible businessmen, probably pretty wealthy, business people, pretty wealthy. They got houses everywhere. They invite him in, and I don't know how much time they spent, but Apollos becomes an incredible apostle in the early church. In fact, he leaves Ephesus and goes to Corinth and ministers there. Some people, a lot of church historians believe that it was Apollos who actually wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know who the author of the book of Hebrews because he doesn't identify himself. But Apollos had this incredible knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. And there's good reason for a lot of people believe that it was Apollos that was the author of that. We're not, we're not sure. It's speculation. But think about the influence of this couple. This is a ministry couple. I'm just speaking to a few husbands and wives that are in here today, and I'm wondering if maybe you might be convicted a little bit about opening your home and your resources and maybe using it to influence somebody for the kingdom of God. I want you to think about that, everybody. Let me tell you something else about Aquila and Priscilla, because We find later, after Paul left them there, everybody listen, there's no doubt in my mind that Aquila and Priscilla opened up their house and they started a house church in Ephesus, and that house church in Ephesus blew up to an incredible regional church where the apostle Paul used the church in Ephesus as a foundational, another launching pad for all of that region. It's amazing. In fact, we find later that when Paul sends this young man, Timothy, back to Ephesus to be the lead pastor, guess who's with him? Priscilla and Aquila. Because everywhere powerful things are happening, you've got this woman and her husband, and they are on the ministry team, and they are teaching, they are training, they are discipling, and all this nonsense about women should not be preaching or teaching or be involved in ministry is coming from people who have never read the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, there were these prominent women that God used powerfully. And brothers and sisters, we all belong in the kingdom of God, and we all are great resources, and our households should be open, and couples need to do more for the kingdom of God by working together with one another instead of separating themselves from one another. I know I'm kind of preaching not like a professor. I'm sorry. I've been two weeks out of the pulpit, and I'm just, this inspires me so much. I just, this blows my mind. They were business partners with the Apostle Paul. They got to disciple Apollos. And they were like a father and mother in the spirit to young Timothy. What a resource this couple was. I wish some of the gray-haired couples in here would pray about how God could use you in these last days to open your house. And some of the business people that are very successful in here realize you're sitting on resources. Release him to the kingdom of God. He wants to use you powerfully. Can somebody say amen? Amen. All right. Now, so on his third missionary journey, he leaves Antioch again because he's always coming back and reporting the home base. And then he goes up through Galatia goes over with modern-day Turkey, and he gets to uh, Ephesus. And then we start learning these incredible truths on how to reach a city. This is a demonized city. 
and there's all kinds of ungodly things that are happening there. And I'm just going to give you five things, everybody. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, I think the way to reach city is when, is when, God, when God's people open up their houses. That's my whole first point. I've just preached the whole thing. But hospitable Christians care enough to open up their homes. This was a pattern of the New Testament church. And they were always opening up their homes. And people were doing, I'm, I'm talking about ministry day to day. And people were coming in to their homes. I know we have a limited knowledge about, you know, how uh, the church at Ephesus started, but there's no doubt that the Apostle Paul left Priscilla and Aquila there, and he said, I'm coming back, and they started the ministry there. I'm sure Paulus helped. The whole thing got ignited. And today, we're so private about our homes. We must become more open uh, on how we can be discipling others within our houses. Here's number two. I believe the second thing that we see in the outreach of Ephesus is that God-seekers, God-seeking people get filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, it says, while Apollos was at Corinth, this is third missionary journey, while he's at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and he arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he asked these disciples, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They answered to him, though we hadn't, we hadn't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. What's that? And so the apostle Paul said, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. Maybe they were listening to Apollos' teaching. And um, then Paul said, well, John's baptism was that of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one that is coming after him in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So here's another Acts chapter 2 Pentecostal experience that now is happening decades later outside of Jerusalem, outside of Antioch, now in the southwest, on the southwest coast or the western coast of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're prophesying. They're speaking in tongues that they don't know, and they're prophesying very similar. And people are like, well, what is that all about? Can, can, I, just, can I just say, I'm not going to go into all of the teachings about tongues versus tongues and what's appropriate for today. But what's very disturbing to me is that we have entire books and conventions and libraries filled with writings about people pulling away from the power of the Holy Spirit when in this day and age when principalities sit and rule in high places what we need more than anything else is the power of the Holy Spirit to confront these principalities and we're saying well it doesn't even exist anymore Instead, we should be saying, God, whatever there is for us to have to resource us to win our cities, our families, our nations, we are ready for it. Would you pour it out like you once did before? We want to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, it is in this letter that he writes back to the church at Ephesus. And he says, don't be drunk with wine that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Maybe in the back of his mind, he remembers him laying his hands on those 12 men and them getting filled with the Holy Ghost. And later he's writing back and saying, don't lose that. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be seduced by the spirit of the world. Don't substitute your high for a party spirit when you've got the power of the Holy Ghost available to you. All right, I'm preaching better than your amen, but y'all going to catch up with me. I'm saying to you that we can reach a city when people will open up their lives, when they will see their houses as resources for the kingdom. I believe will reach a city when God's seekers get filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And here's number three. We find also in Ephesus that new believers 
were being discipled powerfully into the Word of God. It was not enough for them just to accept Jesus. In fact, let me read this to you. We're still in Acts 19. Acts 19 is all about what happened at Ephesus. It says then, Paul, after he had prayed for those guys to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, it says, then Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months. Now, let me pause and just tell you this. I think Landon has mentioned this, but when Paul would go into a city, he would go first to the synagogues. He was always going first to the Jews, and he gave them an opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus. And he would preach. Some would, some would receive it, but most of the time he was rejected and kicked out of the synagogue. Then whenever he got rejected and kicked out of the synagogue, he went in the streets, and he just started preaching in the streets. This is, a, this is an incredible pattern. He just goes straight to the people who claim to love God, but when they rejected Jesus, he would go to the streets and find anybody, whosoever will, might come. You know, I was thinking about this. I got a report just this week. We have a compassion team that feeds the homeless down on the streets during the week, and just, just this Wednesday on the streets of Murfreesboro, uh, that compassion team that's out there feeding chicken and biscuits and all that stuff, they present the gospel, and five homeless people gave their hearts to Jesus just this week in Murfreesboro on the streets. You know, I, I, I see baptisms here in church. Last Sunday, me and Carrie were watching it online. I just started weeping. Me and Carrie both, we're just crying, watching how beautiful that was. And the next thing I know, boom, people on the streets are getting saved. This is how you impact a city, everybody. It's that you go to the people of God, but don't limit it to the people of God. We need to be out on the streets. God cares about our cities because it's inhabited with people who he loved and had compassion on and died for, and he rose again and sent the power of the Holy Spirit so they can be transformed. And the temple of God is not about this building. It's, it's the rule and reign in the hearts of God's people. That's the gospel. And so new believers, when a city is reached, new believers are discipled powerfully in the Word of God. You know, I'm just going to tell you this. I know some of you have heard this, but in, in, the, in the early 90s, um, when we were just planting this church, Carrie and I were here, we saw, the, we, we saw people coming to the Lord, and, um, but I found that every time we turned around, it looked like somebody was getting hit with some type of cataclysmic trial or, or a marriage is breaking up or they would just slowly filter away and I'm like, God, what's happening to the people? We're losing them. And the Lord spoke to me and said, because you're, you're, you're just teaching them the word and you're hoping that they'll have an experience with the power of God, but you're not intentionally discipling them in the life of Christ. And they don't have any spiritual mothers and fathers. And so the Lord stirred my heart to write a one-year discipleship course. And we've, we're on our third revision of this called the Journey Discipleship Experience. And I got good news to report to you. Just this last week, we completed our third and what we consider the final um, edition of the Journey Discipleship experience everybody thank you for everybody that gave toward that and helped toward that most of our church has gone through it some of you have not some of you are in in groups right now and the whole idea is that you are methodically weekly being discipled in the basic truths of the bible that takes you on a journey from your salvation experience into a balanced Christian life where the Word is alive in your house, in your life, and now you're finding your gifts and you're being launched forth in, into your own ministry. That's the idea. That's the Christian life journey. That's what discipleship is all about. I learned to be a disciple, and then I'm helping make disciples of other people. And I just really believe that this is the way cities are impacted. Instead of having cute little church services with nice little sermonettes, we have a methodical system. It doesn't, there's nothing sacred about what we've created. It's just what the Lord put on my heart. And we need to be weekly training and developing. Look at the Apostle Paul. He says, it, it, it says that when he entered the synagogue, he spoke the word boldly three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom. 
some became obstinate and they refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. That spirit was dominating Ephesus. Look, so Paul left him. So he took the disciples that were with him and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years so that all of the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. It's like the synagogue, y'all don't want to hear it? I'm going somewhere else. And he went into a different hall and every day, daily, he shows up with his team. They're teaching the word. They're discipling the converts. And Ephesus is coming alive. I'm talking about everybody in that whole area is hearing the word of the Lord. And it's increasing. And the tension is growing because the kingdoms are clashing. This is amazing what is happening with this early church. I just want you to notice that it happened daily. Ministry cannot be about a 90-minute service that happens once or twice a month. It has got to be more. There's more for us, everybody. And in the last days, it's not optional. It's required of us. If we're going to see the power of God and we're going to win our cities and impact our nation, we can't just be content with an online church or with a church that meets once or twice a month. We've got to go after the things of God. And I'm challenged by this, and I don't know if you are, but there are believers that need to be discipled powerfully in the Word of God. And I just want to encourage you, I'm hoping so much and praying so much that you would fall in love afresh and anew with the Word of God. And this is one of the reasons why we've been teaching through the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts just, it takes these, it, 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 it takes what was happening in the, in the realities of the early church and it creates visual images that, I mean, people are basically the same. What God was doing then, he wants to do now. In us. With us. For us. God help us. Can you say Amen. All right, that's number three. Let me give you another one. I'm, ta- I'm just talking about the clash of the kingdoms and how to win a city. Maybe you could even be applying this to your lost family right now. Because in your lost family, I'm just telling you, maybe your heart needs to be turned back towards them. Maybe you need to be filled with the Spirit and stop walking in the flesh. Come on, everybody. Maybe you need to fall in love with the Word of God and start living the Word of God out better within the, halls, uh, within the walls of your own house. And then number four, to win the city, the, the miraculous power of God must be manifesting. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. I'm just reading the verses. This is what happened in this chapter. After Paul was there daily with them, ministering to them it says and God did extraordinary miracles through Paul I don't know what the heck an extraordinary miracle is because a miracle is pretty extraordinary to me an extraordinary miracle must have been quite a miracle but it was an extraordinary miracle that he did through Paul so that (coughs) excuse me (coughs) handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick And their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Can I just say this? I'm going to repeat myself. I I, I don't want to pastor a church that is resistant to the power of God, who because of their own belief have decided to reject it as something that once existed but does not exist anymore. The power, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God who split the waters, come on everybody, who healed blind eyes and rose from the dead is the same God that we serve today. And I'm praying that there would be a revival of faith where we would start trusting and believing God for the extraordinary miracles where sick people are healed. Come on, everybody. 
and oppressed, demonized people get set free. Can I just say this? When God, God chooses when and where he uses his servants and what gifts he chooses to use them with, you know, but I'm praying, God, use me. And we, I think it's okay for us to pray, God, use me. Instead of having this neutral attitude, well, if God wants to use me to, to pray for somebody to get healed, I guess he will. I'm like, God, why not me? Don't you have compassion on people that are hurting? Don't you want to see the power of God? Then maybe we need to get on our face on some of our prayer meetings and say, come on, God, use us. You got nobody else? Just use us. And maybe we should put some faith to our desires. Can you say amen? amen. You know, you know um, what our cities need is not more debate. They need to see the power of God. Regional, this is what happens when cities get reached. The power of God shows up and the regional principalities and ruling spirits have been confronted with prayer. I think that this last point is so important that I know that there are people that go into missionaries that I know that they actually go and do spiritual mapping before they even start outreaches. And they go and they look, what is the prevailing spirit? What is the bondage that the people are... I'm talking about people in third world countries. I'm talking about people in occultic areas. And they go and they identify. They'll spend months just walking the streets praying, God, show us who's the target, who's in charge here. And then they'll start initiating a prayer strategy, uh, combating those demonic spirits, those ruling spirits, the principalities. I think God gave Paul insight about this. I think he looked at that uh, temple of Artemis and he saw that great big statue and he said, oh, no, that thing's coming down. And I think that he is, that God gave him the revelation of this. Um, and and, and, I, and the truth is, is that we're so afraid of the devil. And, 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 and I just think that we need to awaken ourselves to realize that Satan is acting in the angel of light. This is why the apostle Paul says, the, the battle's not with flesh and blood. Listen, you could just name all of the political leaders right now that you're very disgusted with and get angry about because they, God, the enemy is using them um, to limit the church and the ministry from going forth. But you realize they're not the target. It's the spirit that's behind them. That, that we, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not, about, is not against the people that are in office. Our battle is about principalities, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. And when the church will rise up and realize that collectively we are an army of intercessors and we will start tearing down the strongholds, then we will see people in office that will have encounters with the Holy Ghost. You can read all these stories in the book of Acts and go, well, that was really cool. That was really neat how that happened in the first generation. Or you can say, God, shame on us for being content to just hand the world over to the devil. We need to be occupying this land. I'm running out of time. I'm done with my time. Some of the most incredible things happen in Acts 19. The, the funniest, greatest story, I think, is these sons of Sceva. You, you know, they, the Apostle Paul is casting out demons and people are getting set free. And, you know, they're all about magic arts and all this stuff. So they thought, well, we want that same power. So they started trying to cast out demons by the Paul, by, by, in the name of Jesus, the one that Paul serves. And, of course... The devil attacked them and beat them and drove them out naked. If you want to have some fun reading, just read about that story. It's pretty comical. God, Jesus just said, when the spirit of truth clashes with the spirit of evil, there's no contest. God always wins. 
In Acts chapter 23, I mean 19 verse 23, it talks about how there was this great disturbance of the way because there's so many people in Ephesus that are coming to the Lord that now it's affecting their economy. The business people that are selling all these Diana trinkets are losing money. There were so many people that saw what happened with the, the sons of Sceva that the fear of the Lord came upon the whole city and they started bringing all their magic books and all, all of their um, artifacts, everything that they used to put curses on people, and they had a big bonfire. It was amazing. They start burning all of their dark arts, all this magic stuff, and, and then all the business people start freaking out because it's all about money. And so they created this riot in the streets. It's pretty amazing. The whole city's turned upside down. They started screaming and shouting, Worship to Diana. Great is the goddess Diana. They did two hours, two hours. And at City Hall, they just shout this. Finally, the city clerk comes out and says, y'all need to stop this. These people hadn't stolen anything from anybody. And we're going to get in trouble because Rome's going to send, Rome didn't like troublemakers. They were going to come down there and they were going to bust the whole city up. So finally, they settled down. There's such a move of God that the Apostle Paul is setting in leaders in Ephesus. It's pretty amazing. In fact, I want to encourage you, with everything I've been talking about, you ought to go back and read the book of Ephesians. You ought to do it today, tonight, this week. Just read through Paul's letter back to the Ephesian church. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll just close with this, kind of repeating back some of the things that we read when we first started because the Apostle Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem at the end of his th third missionary journey and he knows that he is going to be arrested and he doesn't know exactly if he's going to live or he's going to die but he knows that he's never going to see them again so he's 30 miles away he doesn't even take time to go to Ephesus but he calls all of his church leaders all of the elders, the pastors he says y'all come here I need to talk to you and I'll repeat what they read. He said, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. I did it publicly and I did it in your homes. And I've had one message for the Jews and the Greeks. He says, this is the message that's necessary. We need to repent from sin, turn to God, and put our faith in the Lord Jesus. That's the gospel. Repent from your sin, turn to God, put your faith in the Lord Jesus. I'm talking to somebody today, maybe online, maybe in the building. This is the word of God to you. Repent for your sins. Turn your life to God and believe on the Lord Jesus. That's the message that will change your life. He said, now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except the Spirit is telling me that in that city I might, I might go to jail and suffer the suffering is lying ahead, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. That's the work of telling others good news about the wonderful grace of God. So then he gives the church leaders instructors, and many of you are leaders here, and I want you to hear this because he says, guard yourselves. And guard God's people. Feed God's flock. Feed and shepherd God's flock. He purchased them with his blood. And he has appointed you as leaders over that church. And now I entrust you to the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all whom he has set apart for himself. And I love this again. I'm going to say it again. I coveted no one's silver or gold. You know that these hands work to supply all of my needs and the needs of those with me. I have been const a constant example how we ought to help those who are in need by working hard. And you should remember these words. Jesus taught us it's more blessed to give than receive. And when he finished speaking and he prayed with them, they cried. And they kissed him. 
And they were sad because they knew that their relationship with him had come to an end. And they took him down to the ship and escorted him away. And the church increased and grew in power. And generation after generation was ministered because he passed through Ephesus and some precious little couple decided they would open up their house. And boom, that powerful demonic spirit gave up the lost people that lived in that city. And that city was one for Christ. Can you give the Lord praise for what God did in that day? All right, everybody. God, hey, God bless you. Stand to your feet if you would. Thank you, Jesus. Repent of your sin. Turn to God. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Would you just pray this with me? Would you say, God, I repent of all my sin. You say, Pastor Ron, I've already done this a hundred times. Let's do it again. God, I repent of all my sin. And I turn to God. And Jesus, I believe on you. I believe on you, not just in you. I put my life on you. And I'm so humble. Come on, say that. And I'm so humble and so thankful that you chose me and you have given me that inheritance in the kingdom of God. One more ovation of praise, everybody. Oh, yes. All right, God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Hey, we'll finish this up next week.